Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a lot of time for this man. I've worked with him, I've sang with him, he is fun. We're going to talk about him as a singer, him as a space explorer, and him, what is he doing when I see him with hundreds of people walking around Liverpool singing and dancing? It's Alan Cross. Hello. Hi, Pete. How are you, mate? So which order, what should we do? Singing first. First of all, how did you cope with the pandemic? Oh, my word. Well, for me, do you know what? I was really fortunate because in 2018, so, so the background is I'd sang, you know, my main income had been singing for like 10 years. Yeah. And I'd been headlining the Hilton and Liverpool and, and all these places. And then in 2018, I was headhunted by the European Space Agency. Yep. to be their business applications ambassador. So when the, when the pandemic hit, I had a full-time job that wasn't affected by the pandemic. Wow. That could work from home. And so I was so lucky. I, 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 I joked about it and said that if I hadn't have had that job, I'd have been either, honestly, dead or in prison because I would have had to have given up my flat, I'd have moved in with my dad, and one of us would have killed the other one. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite fortunate, yeah. but, yeah, but but even on top of that, so yeah, so the singing fell off, but also so the you know you mentioned there the the silent adventures, which is the disco leading people through the streets. So that we had, we had to stop that for eighteen months. So for eighteen months that didn't happen, and so what I did was I there was a little bit of money in the account in the business account for that, and so I so the people we employ we don't employ them directly. They are like most entertainers. They're contract workers. You know, yeah, they work yeah, invoice yeah. to invoice. They're not on the PAYE system. So I would be given the people who are on our regular list of, of entertainers a monthly payment, just enough to get a, a big shopping, you know, maybe yeah, 50 yeah. quid a month, but just doing whatever it could, we could do to help them. Um, but it, and I, Honestly, I can't imagine what it would have been like if I'd have been still yeah. relying on, on singing for the income. I'm talking to Alan Cross. I've got to talk about the silent disco. Tell us how it came about and what it's all about, because it makes me laugh if you see you in the street. It just honestly makes me laugh. Where did it come from? Talk to me about so, it. So my mate up in Edinburgh, James, my best mate, you know, the brother I never wanted in the first place, <laughs> a great guy, um, he came to me in 2017. He said, Crossy, I've seen this thing in Edinburgh, and I think we could do it better. He said, I want to start it. Um, you do it. He said, he'll do it in Edinburgh. I'll do it in Liverpool and we'll see how it goes. And so it, what it is, so a silent disco is you go to the disco and you're given headphones instead of having speakers, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the music's transmitted directly to you. And normally in a silent disco, you'll have three DJs on and you can change the frequency of the headphones. Just push the button and it goes to the next channel. So you can, three choices, you know, one might be a soul DJ, one might be a rave DJ, one might be indie music or something, and you can do what you want. So we've taken that, and that's in like a fixed venue. So we took that and we made it mobile, and we put the technology into a backpack. And what we do is we just transmit on one channel, so people turn up, they put on their headphones, and we transmit to them, and we guide them through the streets of Liverpool, singing and dancing and having a lovely time. And I don't mind telling you that right now, I am sat in a car park of a supermarket near Chester with my friend Danny, because we've just spent eight hours or so at Chester Racers for their family fun day running silent adventures for people no so we've been doing all I'm sat here in my yellow t-shirts with my disco socks on the lot wow yeah. now first of all do you have to have 
any sort of legal permission to go around the streets like that? So not really, no. So, I mean, we, you know, we're fully insured. We pay, we pay our PRS, which is, you know, the music, the music yeah, licensing yeah. for the songs we use. Um, we, we are in touch with the council regularly. We are in touch with, you know, the Albert Dock and, and Liverpool one where we, where we leave from. So that they know we're there, they know what we're doing. Um, and often, you know, Liverpool one will come to us and say, we've got this event on, could you do something? So we've got a good relationship. But in terms of the legality of it, so because we don't take any money on the street, it's all booked online. We don't have premises, yeah. so it's, it's kind of a floating um, event. Yep. In that, in that now, how many people do you take at a time? What's the most you take? We can take up to 75 at a time. Wow. So it must have cost a few bob to set up with all the electronics or the the gear that you use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of have yeah the headphones and you know the 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 antenna we use is quite expensive because we were getting a lot of feedback and a lot of you know taxi messages coming through as we walk <laughs> along the streets and and you know with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all this there's a lot of interference so we put a bit of quite a bit of money into making sure that the technology works. So Alan, talk me through it. I've just joined you. Where first of all, where do yeah. I join you? So you 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 go to SilentAdventures.co.uk. And all the cities are there, so you at Liverpool, you book us, and you'd, at quarter to three on a Saturday, you come and join us at the clubhouse in Liverpool 1. We give you your headphones, and off we go. And we, we end up back in Liverpool 1, one hour later, we do one mile in one hour. It's not, a, it's not you know, we don't just put the headphones on and go, right, you, dance. It's, it's, we, we, it's much cleverer than that. Yeah. We start off really gentle, no, no dancing allowed, just tap your foot. Now nod your head, and we build it up, and we build it up, and we build it up. Because most people who go there don't know someone else has booked for them. Oh, Someone's right. Going, it's a surprise. Yeah. So if we've got, you know, 70 people on, and that's seven groups of 10, then you'll find that maybe one person in each group knows what's going on because we booked it as a surprise for everyone else. Right. And so some people, you know, they, they couldn't think of anything worse yeah. than singing and dancing to the street. So you've got to take them nice and gentle. And by the end of it, they're, they're outside John Lewis doing electric guitar to Bohemian Rhapsody at the top of the lungs. Now, uh, I know your work. I know how hard you work as a, a singer. So was it a difficult programme to put together for the headphones? Did you have lots of arguments with your mates getting it sorted, or do, did you say, I know what I'm doing? It, it, it's evolved a lot, right? So, so we initially thought, you know, do we just want to do music from Liverpool and do it that way? And then we tried, we looked at, you know, every Halloween we should do something, but there's surprisingly few danceable Halloween songs. <laughs> um, there's like Ghostbusters and Thriller, and that's about it, really. But so it, it's evolved a lot, but we've now got set pieces that work. So people will have seen us on a Saturday afternoon going along Castle Street, for example, going along Castle Street to Uptown Funk. Then they'll have seen us doing the Irish jig and, you know, uh, River Dance at the back of the town hall. You'll have seen us dancing to the the Jackson 5, going down Matthew Street to the Beatles, singing I've had the time of my life as we go up Paradise Street, all that. Did you have to go round, Alan, and time it all? Uh, Initially, did you go on your own, sort of, or did you just knew what knew how you were Yeah, no, we had we had to walk it round, test it, what song goes there. And it's it's difficult to go, you know, you might have you know, a piece where you stood still, we do a, this fashion walk outside mm. the Met Quarter, but then you've got to get from there, standing still, down to John Lewis. So you think, well, what's a good travelling song? You know, you can't have any old thing. It's got, and so, you know, 
um, the Proclaimers 500 Miles, that sort of thing. So yeah. there, there are certain songs that can that really move people and there are other songs that you can stop and do a set piece yeah. and do, get them to rehearse. And, and because, of course, the person leading it's got a microphone. So as we walk along, and let's say we saw you in the distance, let's say down the microphone, right, everyone, this fella here, that's Pete Price, and after three, we're all going to wave and shout, Hi, Pete! And then before you, you're walking along and then suddenly 75 people are shouting yeah. your name, waving at you and dancing around you. So we so, can really interact with the people around us as we go. So you still compare, so the compare and the music. So it's it's a complete set piece, but you've also compared which, and ad-libbing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely So we're engaging with people. Yeah. You know, if it's someone's birthday, we'll do their favourite song for them. You know, we'll have a laugh with them. It's really good fun. Where can they find out more about that? So you get on silentadventures.co.uk and select Liverpool and you can book, book on all you want. Incredible. Alan, I've known you for a long time and always had a lot of time for you. You have an opinion. My word, you have an opinion about politics, <laughs> about everything. But that's why I love you, because um, I say to all my friends, the people in my life, uh, there's no boring ones, no boring <laughs> ones at all. You've always been passionate about space. And we've talked over the years about space exploring and everything. Tell us about this job and tell us how you got into it and what is the passion all about? So so I started off, I was always just a, a bit of a geek, to be honest with you. I was always interested in space. Um, and when I was singing full time, you know, and okay, even if you sing every single night of the week as a professional gig, you've still got your days to yourself, right? You've still got a bit of time on your hands. And so I indulged my passion, and my passion was space. Um, and nine years ago, the UK government started to make noises about building spaceports in the UK. So this is places that you can fly to space from or launch satellites from in the UK. Um, and there's two ways of doing this. You have a vertical launch, which is the one people are most familiar with, something like you know, like Kennedy Space Center, which is a lot bigger than what we're looking at in Britain. You've also got a horizontal launch, and that stuff that takes off and lands on a runway like Virgin Galactic does and Virgin Orbit. And so people were talking about UK Airport, they were talking about Glasgow Presswick Airport, and I spoke to some people I knew in the industry and said, well, who's looking at Liverpool Airport? You know, it's facing east-west, which is useful. Um, it, fa it faces five kilometres of river estuary if you needed to expand it. Why, why is no one looking at this? And he said, oh, you couldn't do it there. I said, why not? And he said, because you couldn't. I said, well, why not? <laughs> and no one, could, no one could give me a straight answer. And so I pulled a few people together and you all from Liverpool or living in Liverpool. Um, one had been a, a scientist, a rocket scientist in NASA. Um, one had been a project manager in, in, when he was working on something called Skynet, which is the British government's military satellites. One guy was an environmental consultant. All these reports go, well, let's, have, let's, let's look at John Lennon Airport. And we responded to this government consultation using John Lennon Airport as, as an example of a spaceport. The reason you couldn't do it in John Lennon, actually, is because the air the airspace is too complex because of Manchester Airport is so close. Right. But in doing that, we then discovered that um, space is big business. Space in the UK now nowadays is worth sixteen and a half billion pounds, and that's oh. not government. That's not government spending. Right. right? That that's turnover. That's that's businesses doing business, um, and of that sixteen point five billion. 25% is the making the spaceships and all that. Um, and 75% is the use of the data. So think of things like Uber or Deliveroo. Yeah. You push the button and, and you drop a pin. 
you do that. You're interacting with a billion dollars worth of spaceships. And it's how you use that data and build services from it. But in, in discovering this, so the Northwest is the biggest aerospace hub in Britain. The biggest. We build the F-35 stealth fighter. We build nuclear submarines. If you want advanced electronics, the Northwest is one of the best places in the world to do it. One of the biggest digital economies in Britain. So GCHQ, that's the Government um, Signals Intelligence Spy Agency, are moving a third of their people to Manchester because there's so many skills here. And yet, we found that the Northwest was doing less than 1% of the space economy. And it should have been doing loads. So we decided there and then, we were going to reorganize as the Northern Space Consortium and we were going to do our best to try and get jobs and economic growth here in the Northwest for space. From that, the European Space Agency found out, offered me a job with them doing something very similar. And now I've moved on again um, and I'm now in charge of something called the Northwest Space Cluster. So I'm in charge of the whole development of the space industry in the Northwest. So we're working with local governments of Manchester, Liverpool, Cheshire, Lancashire, and Cumbria to make this happen, to get loads of jobs here in the Northwest for space. That's amazing, that story you just told us, because I don't know how you've got time to do anything else anymore now, because you're moving up the ladder with that. But what are the jobs? In, 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 in layman's terms, what are the jobs? For instance, if I came to you, I wanted to work for you for this, what do I apply for? Give me an example. I, I, try, I want to put it in layman's terms. So there's, there's, two, there's, there's three things that we're looking at. Our focus is in three areas. One is cybersecurity. So if anyone's a cybersecurity expert out there, if anyone's looking at using big data or security around communications, we need you. We're looking at materials. You know, graphene was invented in Manchester. Advanced materials and how they work or facilities and engineers around the testing of those materials. We need them. And crucially, green technology. So people who are, who are interested in using data from space, so that's, you know, images and infrared and radar and all that, in order to build services to support net zero, in order to support us getting off oil and using renewables. So anyone working in renewables or materials or cybersecurity, this is what we're looking at. And who pays their wages? So private businesses. Right. So, so me personally, so I'm hosted by the Science and Technology Facilities Council, which is a government agency. So this is a this is a government scheme to try and boost the economy in the Northwest to get more jobs going. But it's not about getting people to work for the government. It's about private businesses. Yeah. So there's a business in Birkenhead called Teledyne, CML, and they build the panels for satellites. Wow. So there's businesses out there already that do this in Liverpool. Alan, do you have to pinch yourself? Because you started it off as a hobby. Yeah, yeah every day, Pete. Every day. And not just pinch myself, but worry when I'm going to get a tap on the shoulder and they tell me that I've been found out and that I don't belong there. You know Because I mean? I'm surrounded in my office. Basically, everyone who's on my level in my office has got a PhD. And I, I didn't even get an A-level in maths. Right, I barely got his GCSE in that. Yeah, but you see, that, so, that, that's an amazing uh, um, uh, feat in itself. That gives people hope out there that somebody like you can do it. Why can't I? Exactly, exactly. And, and it's really important you say that, Pete, because what we want to do, what we want to start doing is working with the likes of the Women's Organisation and the Anthony Walker Foundation and the Michael Causa Foundation 
so that we are communicating to kids from ethnic minorities to, to young LGBT kids from, from to poor white working class kids on the fringes in Liverpool that they have a route into space. So let me tell you, there's a there's a, a girl who, who's going to be an astronaut. She's she's got a PhD in uh, particle physics. She works in I think Imperial College in London. She is fabulous. She's from County Road. Her name is Dr. Jackie Bell. She's a young woman who is from County Road who's working on getting into space. The head of propulsion at Sky Aurora, which is building fabulous rockets that will launch from the north of Scotland, JJ Marlowe is from Kirby. Still in his wow. 30s. Wow. He went to uni- he, he didn't get A-levels. He went to university late, and that's where he is. So you can do it. I'm talking to Alan Cross, and it is Alan Cross the singer, believe it or not. It is Alan that does those discos around town. It is Alan. Uh, Alan, what is out there right now? I'm here. It's evening. I'm looking into the sky. Is there traffic jams up there now with space whatever, debris, yeah. or is there problems up there at all? Big problems, yeah, big problems. You may have seen in the news recently that the, um, a Chinese long march, as it's called, their big rockets re- um, re-entered the atmosphere. Um, it, it, it did it over the ocean, but the truth is we didn't know exactly where it was coming down. So orbital debris is a big problem. It's a big problem, not so much for us on the ground, but for the things in space. But you can imagine a situation in which a piece of debris hits a satellite and it knocks out all, it knocks out the GPS satellites, right? Now you think, well, so what, Matt? You know, like, okay, so I can't find my way to the nearest cafe. But the, the timing signals from the GPS, that's how the national grid is synchronized. So if we lose those satellites, all the lights go off. All the energy goes off. So we're now have, it's now a real main point of concern and there's a lot of efforts going in to how do we manage space? How do we clean it up? And it's not just about burning the stuff up in the atmosphere. It's about going there and reusing it and repurposing what's up there and, uh, for new technologies. And part of that as well, um, uh, last week, the week before, the government released some funding around what were called space-based solar power. So this is a really serious effort now to build big solar farms in space that beam the energy straight back to where to decarbonize the national grid so we're not dependent on oil and gas anymore. Alan, how passionate are you to get into space yourself and will it ever happen? Oh, I'd go tomorrow, Pete. I'd go tomorrow. It's the offer that I go tomorrow. So the thing to understand, to get into space, to get into orbit, so that's 250 miles up, moving at five miles a second relative to the ground, that used to cost $50,000 a kilo, right? Every bag of sugar you're sending up there is $50,000. So me, let's say I'm 100 kilos, it's a lot of money. And it was that cost for for decades. But now it's $2,000 a kilo. And it'll soon be below $1,000 a kilo. And by the middle of the century, it'll be less than $100 a kilo. And at at that cost point, most people could go into space at some point in their life. I remember, you know, when people used to retire and they'd go on the QE2. You know, and I'm still not talking mega rich. I'm talking for their retirement. They go on the QE2 to New York and they fly back. By the time I get to retirement, a little trip into space to treat yourself is going to be a very real possibility. Alan, does your dad understand where you're going with this? Or does he shake his head in disbelief? 
I think he's given up asking Pete, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just goes, what are you doing now? Yeah, okay, good, good All on right, you. lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now tell me, these billionaires that are going up into mm. space, what's your view on all that? So you have to understand, um, the reason, and Jeff Bezos specifically has been, is that the Amazon guy, he's been really open about this. He speaks about this a lot. Um, the reason he started Amazon was to found a space company. He's not doing space because he quite fancies it now. He started Amazon to pay for the space company. The reason he's doing that is, as I've just said, to drop that cost of getting into orbit from $50,000 a kilo to below $100 a kilo. What's the point in that? So what? Well, let me tell you. Right now, there are 8 billion people on Earth. And maybe only one in five has the stable kind of life that you and I and, your, and, our, and the listeners have feet. And that means stable energy grids, stable access to food, stable education, stable access to information. Only four out of five humans don't have that kind of stability that we have now. And even with four out of five people not having it, we're using almost twice the planet's regenerative capacity. The air, the water, the sea, the land, everything. And so it's not, we need to start doing things differently because there'll soon be 11 billion of us and we can't keep going on the way we're going on, mining the planet the way we are, burning fossil fuels, digging stuff up. It's got environmental problems. It's got human problems. There's a human cost to this. But fortunately, all the energy we need is above our heads from the sun or from fusion products from the, the upper atmospheres of Jupiter. All the materials we need, iron, phosphorus, aluminium, lithium, all of it exists hundreds of thousands of times that we currently need in asteroids above our heads. I'm not talking about strip mining the moon or Mars. We're talking big lumps of rock that are floating out there not doing anything. We can go there and we can mine them and we can designate the Earth and Mars and the moon and every planet in the solar system as a national park. We can, we can lift all heavy industry. We can lift all energy production off-world and let the planet rewild while supporting those 11 billion people or more in the life that we are currently accustomed to. Because I think every human deserves at least the, the quality of life that I've got. I've got to ask and one to more. That, oh, sorry, go on. To, sorry, to do that, sorry, to do that, and this is the point about the billionaires, to do that, you've got to drop the cost of getting to orbit. Right. And that's what they're working on. Yeah. I don't agree with their work practices and their warehouses. There's a lot, a whole other discussion. But yeah. the reason they're going to yeah. space is not to see you get there first. Alan, I've got to ask one more question before you go. And yeah. I honestly could talk to you all night. I think you're fascinating. Is there life out there, in your opinion? I, I, I think so, yeah. I think, I think we'll probably find, all my personal opinion, I'd be very surprised if we don't find fossilised life on Mars. There's some evidence that there might be active life on Mars and on the, in the clouds of Venus, probably in the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. Very simple microbial life. But the James Webb Space Telescope was launched recently. Um, and what that can do is, when a planet passes in front of its star, uh, this is a planet around in, in another solar system, James Webb can see how the light shining through that atmosphere changes. And we can then tell what the atmosphere is made of. And if we detect oxygen on one of those planets, Oxygen is really reactive and gets locked up into everything else. The only reason we've got oxygen on Earth is because plants keep giving it out. Oxygen's a symbol of life. If we find oxygen on one of these planets, which we may well do in the next few months maybe, then there's life on that planet. 
Alan Cross, your most fascinating man. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you enjoy that, we've got some great podcasts. Why not just subscribe? It's free.